Okay, welcome to the Savage Beast Podcast uh, discussion about music. Uh, I'm Joe Gallagher, and with me, as always, is Paul McLeod. Hello, I am Paul McLeod. You are Paul McLeod, and you are one pretentious motherfucker. The most. I try every day to think of new ways to pretend to be something that I'm not. Is it is it true or not that you actually made yourself a soccer or a soccer style polo or rugby style polo with the word elitist on it? It's one hundred percent true, and it is my favorite shirt to this day. Has uh, anyone ever given you real shit for wearing that? Not I real mean, shit, than, but other than other than our mutual friends, <laughs> not real shit, but definitely uh, bemused comments. Uh, there have been plenty of those. I try to wear it only in situations where. Um, I feel like having a conversation about it. Right. Of course, that's <laughs> <laughs> it's that's only fitting. Yeah. Uh, um, so like if I went to Sarah Palin's house, I would definitely wear that shirt. Yes. Um, but yeah, uh, to, to further illustrate my pretension, I am literally drinking a tawny port right now. Wow. I'm that's <laughs> I'm, I'm drinking a I'm drinking Portland tap water out of a giant giant plastic cup that says rip city well sounds like i'm gonna be more fun on this podcast so yes (laughs) yes if if i had the port i would be drinking it yeah well it's uh the cheapest stuff they sell at total wine that's actually drinkable so nice yeah all right yeah we're gonna be talking about pretentious music um yeah it's it's an exciting it's an exciting time are we gonna be talking about whether pretentious music is good or not or um oh now now we <laughs> now the people get to, this is pretty pretentious to see the postmodern <laughs> inner workings of the podcast yeah um uh, as no, we discuss what the podcast is about while the podcast is being recorded and what is a podcast um, uh that's a that's another good question yeah i actually uh, have a pretty good answer it's audio that you put out in series of people talking on the internet um, yes, but to, don't you think the definition is ripe to be expanded beyond that? And is this definition not entrenching power dynamics of traditional post-colonial societies? Um, anyway. who, will be the, who will be the Sir Francis Drake of podcasts? <laughs> All right, we're done. That would be the most pretentious way to end it. Um, that, um, well, so do we have any... Uh, do you have any uh, musical topics you'd like to cover before we ah, get into the main discussion? That's a good point. Um, what is going on in music these days? Um, you start if you have some stuff you'd like to, to bring up. Well, I would say that we should mention that uh, this week, um, uh, famed record producer George Martin died at the age of 90. That's true. Uh, well known, of course, uh, for producing... Um, the almost the entirety of the Beatles catalog and yes. many of the subsequent remasters, remixes, re-releases, um, you know, even so from, you know, their, their, uh, you know, some of their first records all the way to their Cirque du Soleil show soundtrack. <laughs> uh, yeah. And you know, he won't get the same, Payans, am I pronouncing that word right? Is it Payan? I don't know. As um, I'm just gonna let you, uh, yeah, get, leave you out to to dry there. <laughs> so pretentious to, to even use the word. Um, he's not gonna get the same Payans as uh, as David Bowie, but probably a more influential figure on the subsequent course of pop music. Definitely. I mean, I was thinking about it, like Paul, some of our favorite albums, Kid A melancholy um they were greatly influenced by what he brought to the beatles music um Mm -hmm. he introduced both orchestration and elements of weird experiment yeah yeah experimental electronic music and then also after introducing those to the beatles um he encouraged them to use them you know carefully and musically Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I don't know that the, that rock music would have. Yeah, I guess you know, eventually, other artists would have found ways to bring that in. But he certainly incorporated it in rock and roll uh, from from you know its its pop beginnings. Um, yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, Pink Floyd were recording Piper at the Gates of Dawn at the same time as Sgt. Pepper's, like, in the same studio, right. I believe. So yeah. It wasn't yes. unique, but it was uh, huge. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, and, well, yeah, I mean, I think that his there is a distinction between using it... F- uh, using those elements for hardcore psychedelic rock and using them for, you know, uh, mainstream rock. And That's true. He, he certainly contributed to bringing them to the latter. Um, yeah. And yeah. my dad is still bitching about it. Um. <laughs> Your dad can't wait to get to heaven so he can punch Sid Barrett in the face. <laughs> no, no, no. George Martin. Um, George Martin. I know. He might, he might not hate, he might not specifically think of George Martin, but he always talks about how the uh, the early Beatles are the only Beatles worth listening to. So now that's a pretentious at that. <laughs> wow, that's no, pretension. It's, that's actually this has come around pretty well. No, it's the it's the uh, artsy pretentious experimentation of their uh, you know revolver and later work that he can't stand. So um, it's definitely an right. opinion that's out that's, there. So then there's a question of you know eventually does the pretentious opinion become too much of the popular <laughs> opinion. So then to be pretentious, you must simply go against the popular opinion. That's actually a good point. There is definitely a possibility for pretension in, uh, in being ultra stripped back and ideological about it. Pretension uh, for pretension's sake. Yes. Say it ain't so <laughs> say it ain't so, um, in other things that are going on this week. Yeah. Uh, Kendrick Lamar dropped a fucking awesome album since we last yes. recorded. I I um I have enjoyed my two listens of it so far, and I'm looking forward to uh really blasting it. I I haven't done that yet. Yeah, um, you should. I uh, the first time I listened to it, I was walking around my backyard with my headphones on because I have small children, so I pretty much never get to use my awesome speakers. Um, but um. Uh, I was, I'm not totally prone to, uh, hip thrusting, cock wagging, dancing, but, um, Kendrick Lamar drove me there against my will. So, <laughs> so were you, was it late at night yes. and you were alone in your backyard yes. dancing with your headphones on? Yes. That sounds like a good, uh, music video for a, a Kendrick Lamar track, actually. <laughs> Yeah, except probably you would want somebody that anybody would want to watch dance, but uh. right. Well, that would be that would be the uh, uh, you know the the clever ironic reversal. Yes, that's a good point. I mean, uh, it might be it might just be ripping off Drake's terrible hotline bling dance at this point. But true. Um, and what else is going on? Oh, so also speaking of pretension, I this week, uh, this is sort of we can have this be a segue into our main topic. For the first time, listen to um, Brain Salad Surgery, an album by Emerson, Lincoln, Palmer. Oh. Yeah, which is um, the reason I know about this album and think of it as a, uh, a touchstone of pretension in rock music. Wait, were, now, were you, were you listening to this because Keith Emerson died? No, I, I listened to it because of this podcast in preparation. Oh. Okay, and continue. I made some tweets about it on our shared Twitter feed that you may or may not have seen. Um, I did. Yeah. And I thought and you the, did it because... <laughs> no. <laughs> go back and check Keith the timestamps. Keith died. Go back and check the timestamps. They're from 12 hours wow. before the news came out that Keith Emerson was dead. Do you think your tweets killed Keith Emerson? <laughs> well, they were vaguely sarcastic, so I feel kind of bad. Um, but not totally, because it's not a bad album, but it's interesting. Um Anyway, so the reason I th- always thought of this album as pretentious is because I actually took a, a college course on rock music in, in, in college, um, where one takes college courses. And um, uh, the dude who wrote the textbook really, really fucking loved Brain Salad Surgery by um, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Like, you know, he's giving sort of a, a comprehensive overview of the history of rock music and everything. But when he gets to art rock in the 70s, and can really expand on uh, on um, the on this album, in particular the uh, Carnival Impressions series, which are like four really long tracks at the end. Um, you can tell that this is this dude's favorite album, and now he's getting to uh, to canonize them 
in an academic work and he's really relishing the opportunity. So his, his entire academic career has been to the point that he can prove <laughs> that this album he liked, like <laughs> as just a young stoner is one of the greatest works of art and no one can argue with him. Exactly. Exactly. So, so I mean, he goes on at length about the brilliance of the compositions and how they, uh, you know, brought in classical music structures. Like I, I'm going to say Sonata, even though I don't specifically remember that that's what it was. Um, he definitely talked about this in conjunction with like Frank Zappa as well. Um, but um, yeah, so uh, that has always, uh, for the past 12 years or so, I've been thinking of it as this um, this particular exemplar of uh, classical, super composed rock music. And I never listened to it. And so uh, this was my excuse and um, uh, I have to say it's good, and I have to say I can also see why uh, it inspired a bunch of young drunks who barely could play instruments to start a whole punk rock mu- movement just to get away from that shit. Um, <laughs> um, what, what, and, and why? Yeah. Why did it inspire that? All right. So um, let's let's back up just a little bit. Okay. Okay, um, so we're talking about pretension. Yes, yeah, so we're talking about pretentious today. music, which is a loaded term that yes. um, decidedly puts us, uh, it it decidedly suggests that that which is pretentious is bad because that's just what the word means. Um, it's a, It has a valence of badness. Um, I'm trying to use as much pretension as possible in right. this podcast. But, and I think we're also discussing whether uh, pretentious... Uh, and a pretentious approach to music and musical taste is beneficial. Ah, okay. That's in my mind. That's, that's part, that's probably the second half of the discussion or at least where sort of my thoughts on it kind of concluded. Yeah. Um, that's definitely a good way to approach it, which is a little different from how I did. I was thinking more of music that would be called pretentious rather than music listeners who would be called pretentious. Oh, there Um, you go. All but right. um, but both are are fertile topics. So yes. so let's answer this for both for both subjects. Um, I am always a big fan of uh, starting out by just defining your terms as clearly as possible because otherwise, um, motherfuckers end up talking past each other. So um, what is pretension, Joe? Um, I have some what? answers. Mm. What is pretension in music? I should say. Um, okay. I have some potential answers. Maybe. Well, I I would. Do you want to do? Would you like to? Would you like to answer first? I don't care. Um, it seems like you were ready to jump in. Uh, well, I'll start. Let's. I'll start by saying that I think pretension in any aesthetic category, uh, whether it be music, um, some other form of art, um, any kind of you know, even anything where, uh, there's a certain, there are certain levels of appreciation, uh, you know, wine or food. Um, to me, pretension is bringing, uh, an intellectual, uh, uh, approach to either, to both, you know, either or both the crafting or the, uh, appreciation of the subject um, in a way that uh, is supposedly to either the artist or we'll use the listener, uh, uh, the term of the listener in this case, um, supposedly elevates the experience and uh, grants a a certain amount of, um, I want to use the word privilege uh, to the creator and the listener and to, to the ultimately to the work, both as something, both as how it's created and how it's consumed. Yeah. So you, part of the definition for you is that the, the creator and listener, uh, self-consciously identify it as a better form of music. Um, or yes, a, absolutely. Thing. Yes. Um, I would agree with that. Um, that is actually one of the more important things I think. Um, because what's nice about that definition is it's flexible enough to work for both, um, 
your Emerson Lake and Palmer extremely technically proficient type of music and also your um uh you know your extremely hardcore punk aesthetic of um you know just believing that the uh, really thinking really hard a lot about the ethics and the the philosophy of your art in such a way that it sort of dominates the output, you know? Right. In both cases, there uh, is a very conscious um, uh, attitude towards the music um, and uh, uh, towards what the, the message of the music is and yeah. its its meaning. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so how this plays out typically, like I said, it can be versatile, but, um, it's probably worth running down some of the typical things that this cashes out in. Um, just so we're being clear, uh, bands that enjoy weird keys and tempos and shifts therein within songs, Mm -hmm. um, fussy lyrics. So like, you know, especially, um, you know, your Joanna Newsom type extremely, um, extremely well-written lyrics with big words and uh, strange topics and so forth. Right. Um, intricate, unusual, and frequently long stru- song structures uh, are things that you see a lot in this type of music. And um, just generally being purposefully opposed to mainstream conventions, I would say. Well, see, I would, I, I, I think a lot of what you just listed there mm-hmm. is part of my hesitancy to um, label pretentious music's particular genre because yeah, uh, at, at the end, when you say it's, it's, you know, in some ways it's frequently opposed to mainstream trends. Well, you know, that could result in, um, you know, a large deviation from, you know, uh, the, strange core, you know, strange key changes and, uh, obtuse lyrics, um, that I, I just wonder whether that's our, you know, that's just one idea of pretentious or that's what you and I think of as pretentious. Well, this, this gets to what I think is my main question about pretentious music. And is it uh, just a label that, um, either an artist or a listener could put on anything to justify their taste as, um, a fact. Yeah. Uh, and, and whether, you know, in the end, as a pretentious music listener, the example of your dad only liking the Beatles early albums, um, you know, that can be, uh, to me, that's just as pretentious an attitude as saying you only like their later, you know, more psychedelic work. Um, yeah. Since the censors, there's, there's this idea that, oh, only I understand why this is good. Yeah. And no one else, you know, so few other people understand it. And therefore, uh, both me and this thing I like are special. Yeah. Um, is- no, that makes total sense. And so, I would... yes, right. So I'm going to get, yeah, to, just to conclude, <laughs> it's just the, like, where, I, I guess, I'm a little more, I'm more interested in why Joanna Newsom is, you know, particularly special because she ha- uses these, you know, uh, very complex song structures and lyrics other than the fact that, you know, we happen to like that. Yeah. Like, that happens to be our personal taste. Um, yeah, so uh, this is, in a way, sort of an ancient debate in art and aesthetics. Um, and it's definitely an interesting question. And I don't, you know, I come down pretty strongly in favor of um, liking things that are uh, weird and pretentious, so to speak. Right. That are intricate and technically complex. There can definitely be bad versions of these things. There can definitely be sort of dry, um, uh, soulless versions of them. But um, I would argue, uh, I think I'm going to fall back to a common argument used to differentiate, um, to, to describe why 
popularity is a bad measure of quality in art, basically. Um, so, first of all, if you just go by, if you tried to empirically say what do people like, you'd probably have to land on, um, you know, uh, the Backstreet Boys and Drake. And, you know, Drake isn't bad, but um, in fact, he's quite good. But a lot of things that are, that range from awful to pretty good in terms of what I think is good. Uh, and few yes. things that I think are truly transcendently excellent would even come close in that, in that type of measure. Um, right. Even like the most, the most popular and well-regarded of my favorite bands, like my favorite, favorite bands is probably, well, probably Kendrick Lamar nowadays. And that sort of blows up my argument a little bit because he is fucking awesome. And I think people will be listening to him for quite a long time. Um, but that's rare. And, in, if we look at, uh, such a musical act from a previous generation, um, even if he continues putting out excellent music for decades, like Radiohead, it's likely that he'll sort of slip back away from the popular consciousness at some point. Would you agree? Uh, yeah. I mean, you, he won't be, uh, the most popular, uh, one of the most popular hip hop stars in the world forever. Yeah. I mean, uh, unless he happens to be, you know, unless he becomes the most popular, unless he is currently on the way to becoming the most popular, uh, hip hop artist of all time, which is possible. He could kind of be there, but he has a lot of competition, even in, um, the current generation. Yeah. Drake and Kanye. Uh, yeah. And the better bet is that, you know, he'll, He'll be, he, you know, let's say he, let's presume that his music continues to be awesome. The better bet is that um, he won't continue to be super popular to the same degree anyway, just because popularity is sort of a function of, of sort of a zeitgeist happenstance in a way that quality isn't as much, I would argue. So this is all just to point out that um, I think... Uh, there's some sense, there's some sort of merit to art and aesthetic objects, aesthetic experiences that, uh, has to be, has to be founded in something other than brute popularity. Um, and, or else, yeah, and I think, yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I think in, if, if we take it, you know, out of, out of, we don't get too abstract to just take it in, you know, music and American culture for the past you know, 60, 70 years. I mean, popular music, it's very hard to say that, you know, the music that's been most popular uh, and in any given, you know, period has been the best music being produced in that period. That's just simply... Or frequently even good music. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's not true. I mean, you know, a lot of it, you have to, if you're going to call it good, you have to... It, you know, really stretch that definition to say, oh, it's expertly crafted pop music. You yeah. know, you can say, okay, Justin Bieber, like some of the songs were very well written pop hooks. Um, but yeah. that's not. And good. even then, and, even then, I think you're, you're going to end up begging the question before long. It's going to turn out that your definition of good for why Justin Bieber is good is that people like it, basically. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. And right. You have to be able to at some point show that people like it for some reason other than other people like it or that it's just such generic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, media middle of the road. Yeah. Well, uh, so to continue the point I was making. So, yeah. So, so I think that, um, you know, a better standard for what's good in art is than popularity is what experts or you know even even amateur experts tend to gravitate towards so um as you take people who are extremely interested in a particular form of art and spend a lot of time experiencing and thinking about it i think they will tend to gravitate towards things that are more uh enriching to the human mind and soul um 
things that will last longer, although that's partially because the people 200 years after you make your music who are still listening to your music are definitionally these people who think a lot about your music, or think a lot about music. Um, you know, like take, uh, take Beethoven. Um, in one sense, you know, he's everywhere. He shows up in, in ads and in, he inspires all kinds of music made now. But how many people that you see every day could give you an informed opinion on the ninth symphony, <laughs> you know, like, right. Uh, less than 1%. <laughs> right. 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 I could, I could give you 30, 30 seconds on it at, at most. Yeah. Even I, I could give you, I could give you a solid 30 seconds on the ninth symphony, Yeah, uh, I could, but I, I choose not to do so right now. I could, I could describe it, but I yeah. don't think I could really, offer a detailed analysis of what makes it so good. Um, other than yeah, like, man, right. that ode to joy bit, Jesus Christ. Right. Um, <laughs> I could describe the cultural context of it, but, but describing, you know, getting into the musical theory or the, you know, the structure of it would be very, yeah. Or just having uh, any opinion about why it's so good. Yeah. Um, right. And that is, I think if you pulled everybody with music opinions, it would probably be by a very weak plurality, the number one choice for best piece of music ever. Um, Interesting. Okay. I, that's not guaranteed, but something like that would be, you know, it, I'm not saying it would have 60% of the vote. It might have eight, but that would be the most that any one thing would get. Um, and you know, it's, there just aren't that many. So this is it. This is the greatest or possibly the greatest thing that anybody has ever done with music in history. And okay basically nobody today listens to it in it in and of itself to experience it, you know, to be like, I'm going to experience the ninth symphony of Beethoven. You know, they listen to it when it comes on during a movie and they're like, Oh yeah. Right. Beethoven. Or so, <laughs> right. There's, there's a, there's a small group of people who, I mean, yeah, almost uh, nobody who, who would I'm go, who would go, to, you know, it would go to, I, you would go to see a performance of it. And those, those uh, people count as, as, being a good part of the legacy of it. I'm saying like, you know, the popular conception of the popular opinion of music yes. doesn't have a lot of space for it um, yes. in and of itself. Anyway. Um, so I've gotten a little bit off track, but anyway, my point is um, I think, I think that in any aesthetic field, it makes more sense to gauge quality by sort of what more by expert opinion than by mass opinion. Um, and so how, this is the elitist so, in me, by the way. Um, okay. <laughs> so I guess uh, uh, that brings me to uh, um, thinking about the, you know, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. Um, is that even what the experts who know more than the average amount about classical music would choose as even the best piece of classical music from that era. No, I mean, but I, it's, I think that there would be, I mean, I don't even think that's even close to, well, I'm sure some of them would, but I think that, that, you know, there's levels of pretension uh, <laughs> in that genre of music that are, you know, I've, I've read, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of words on which performance of Moonlight Sonata is the best, just, you know, drilling down to the most intricate details. It's a fascinating article, but it's something that, you know, only a few dozen people have an opinion on. And, and so, yeah, well, no, so I, I'm not making a claim that that has to be the, has to be the number. It would be on the short list for most people. I think it would certainly, right. Most most experts on classical music, if you said, "Yeah, I really love the Ninth Symphony," they'd be like, "Yeah, it's great." <laughs> you know, nobody right. would be like, "Okay, okay, you fucking yes. cretin." Um, yes. Music is weird in that, or maybe it's not. There's no clear. I think by the nature of the medium, there's no clear choice for this is the best. Whereas, I think more so in like English writing, you could get a you could get a pretty strong consensus on Shakespeare being the greatest English writer of all time. Um, not unanimous, but yes. more people would vote for that than would vote for any particular piece of music. If you ask for the best piece of music. Um, yes. Anyway. Um, so my point is uh, the things that these experts tend to 
tend to appreciate over time the things that tend to get kept uh, past the current age are these things that are more intricate and uh, thoroughly composed, I think. Um, you know, uh, take, take popular music from like 1920 um, or any time before rock came along in 1950 or the 50s. And, you know, there are enthusiasts who listen to it, but um, for being a popular thing that was dominating the culture at one point, mm-hmm. it's really just, uh, it's not around and it doesn't even have as much of a sort of dedicated following and cachet as some of those more high-minded, uh, high-art type things that we've been talking about do. You're saying, I, I would say, it, you're saying that now it does not. It, now it does not. You know? Yes, I, I agree. I mean, I, yes, like like your big band '40s music or something like that. Like some weird nostalgists who stay up late and watch Lawrence Welk listen to that shit. But um, <coughs> you know, I would argue uh, way, way, way more people of good taste would, and people generally, listen to classical music or you know read. Uh, mid-century Russian novels, you know, things that are sort of built to last like that. And that, to me, is a sign that these things are are more worth producing and paying attention to. So you are... Uh, I'm interested in your argument that you're saying here. Are you saying that rock music, because uh, it's inherently unpretentious in its design, um, is possibly of less lesser artistic value than these other uh you know previous genres of music that were more complex and required you know more expertise to truly uh you know engage with and appreciate well i think pop is an interesting pop music broadly is an interesting uh take on this uh just in that um, you know, since the, since really the Beatles in the sixties, um, people who want to make really interesting, long lasting, intricate, you know, revolutionary music, uh, have moved into that genre, um, into, into pop music, into pop music. Yeah. Um, right. And, but I mean, there was plenty of pop music, before the Beatles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's just, But you know, not as much that was thinking like, I'm going to make a really, really lasting, uh, beautiful work of art that people will always pay attention to. Um, and that's also extremely popular right now. Yeah, exactly. So, so by and large, mm-hmm. I think most, you know, the vast bulk of pop music will be considered dross by future generations. Like, a hundred years ago, um, you could take a really brilliant pop song like, say, um, uh, pick like an 80s rock song like I Ran. Like, <laughs> I love that song. Okay. <laughs> yes. All right. Nobody, I like that we're bringing that back 100 years from now for, into no, the no, past. That's the point. Nobody's going to listen to that 100 years from now. Oh, um, <laughs> I thought you were about to take it and just play it for someone no. 100 years ago. It's like, what? It would just... <laughs> They would probably be like, oh, okay, sounds really I old. Rock, I think they'd rock out just as much as we do now. <laughs> I don't know. Do you, does somebody put on some like, uh, some uh, random 1920s jazz and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get laid tonight? I don't think so. Um, you know, but I think things like the Beatles or, yeah. um, you know, Radiohead and you know quite a few others. Um, there could be even some that have been obscure in our own times uh, that will that will be better regarded. You know, like I really hope and pray that somebody like Joanna Newsom is still um, appreciated by real music fiends. You know, a long time right. from now, because her music is unconscionably beautiful. Um, yeah, but it's, I mean, it's so it's so difficult for us to say because we don't know how how and what context they will be listening to that music. So Right, but it has obviously. qualities that I think will be timeless. You know, it's really yes. the lyrics are are both wonderfully well crafted and just utterly piercing. Um the music is uh the, you know the instrumentation and writing and everything is complex uh and yet also beautiful at the same time. 
Um, you know, that kind of thing I think will last, hopefully. Um, but yeah, so those are basically, those are basically my thoughts and why, well, there's one other thought I had about well, why I appreciate pretentious music, especially, but go ahead with your I, point. I guess I actually, I, I, I was, I'm, I'm confused about one point in that I'm not sure what, um, distinctions you're drawing about pretentious music yeah right now like right now um okay as opposed is, to is just, ro- right so are pretentious because i mean i'm interested in you know how people are being pretentious right now and how you know how it's affecting the music that's being made now and you know uh yeah obviously it's how it affects the the music that we listen to growing up and what what expert opinion what opinions are forming you know long term around that yeah um but i guess i'm i'm wondering whether you know this uh let me think about this for a second. Um, so I guess I guess the question is, you know, here it is. Is you know our is our enjoyment of Joanna Newsom, uh, is it affected by some you know intrinsic fact about the music's creation that it was created from this pretentious point of view? with the thought that it might be something that's enjoyed a hundred years from now, or is that really a value that we're attaching to it after the fact as a listener or that, you know, Joanna Newsom is putting on it as a creator that sort of is, you know, it, it enhances our enjoyment of it now, but it doesn't really have anything to do with like the music itself. Okay. So you're saying, is it just marketing? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to bring it back to marketing. I mean, it, I, I guess I am. I'm. It's not. It's more than marketing. It's. I think it's. Um. You know, part of a a, a subculture. Uh-huh. Um, and a way that you know, um, might uh, signal. You know, it's it's a signal between artist and listener Mm -hmm. um, or a signal between two different listeners um, that, um, you know, brings them together or, Ah. you know, increases their enjoyment of the music. Um, But, you know, it is something that they they really chose to it's uh it's a signifier that they chose for this music um because you know that they they liked it or that they you know have other values that drew them to the music okay well i think there's definitely something to this type of music that is that we can identify as real um that's that distinguishes it from other music like like so take something very not pretentious that i love um, the track that popped into my mind, the recent track that I popped into my mind thinking about this was um, uh, Best Coast's um, uh, shit. Now the name is escaping my mind. You know the song because we have talked fear about it. Of my ide- yeah, fear, fear of My, my identity. identity. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, a, that's a great song. Yes. Last 30 seconds, I'll wait for him. Last 30 seconds, I'll wait for him to begin. The nights are getting longer, the pain is getting stronger, but I know, ooh, I know. And the reason this song popped into my mind when thinking about this, so, so you know, I'm trying to, to think about why I like music that is especially... Um, that, that hews to what I perceive as these high-minded ideals of, of composition and quality and whatever. And so then I was trying to think like, okay, if I think this is so great, what, what is the toughest non-pretentious thing I can put it up against and say, what does this do that's better? So, so that song came up just because, um, Jesus Christ, it is, 
a crushing emotional powerful song that rocks like crazy and um <laughs> in terms of of amount of just like soul searing pain i felt listening to a pop song that's got to be right up there that particular song um and um uh so so you know but there's nothing pretentious about it you know it's basically a three chord pop song that follows hmm. a pretty standard structure i would say um the lyrics are maybe you could find a little bit of pretension in them if you looked hmm. but they're no big words you know um and they're pretty short um and it's still just devastatingly effective at what it's trying to do and you don't you don't so you don't think that we you and I could have a 15 minute conversation about just that song. Oh, no, 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 no. It's like a work of genius. Like, couldn't we, couldn't we talk ourselves into it being a work of genius? I think it is a work of genius. Okay. Uh, But it's not pretentious, you know? Um, Okay. I see. Okay. Okay. uh, Right. uh, So genius does not reside solely in pretension. I I, want to make that clear. Um, Yeah. So I'm I'm maybe, yeah. So I guess I was saying we could have a pretentious conversation about it. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily make it pretentious music. Oh, yeah, that's true also. So this is back to that distinction between the the text and the audience. Um, Yeah. One can be pretentious without the other being at the same time. Um, Even if they all, even if the audience is appreciating the text. Um, Anyway, so, so, um, even though I love that song, um, you know, I think its appeal is probably very dependent on the milieu it comes out of. Um, you know, when people aren't listening to three chord rock songs so much, I doubt that they're going to put it on and be like, oh, this makes me feel my breakup more powerfully than I've ever felt my breakup. Yeah. Um, agreed. Unfortunately, <laughs> agreed. <laughs> Yeah, whereas, I mean, so this also affects classical music to some degree. Um, I'm sure people felt more strongly about it back in the day when uh, this was one of the main ways that, um, you know, especially aristocratic types got together and uh, had a shared cultural experience. And that's, you know, why back when, you know, Stravinsky premieres The Rites of Spring, uh, there's a fucking riot because it's so weird. Whereas you could... (laughs) You could not possibly imagine anybody nowadays going to a classical music performance of any kind, and unless there was blood or sex, uh, having a riot, you know? Um, right. So, <laughs> right. And we're getting to the point where that's maybe even not true of a rock concert as well, where it's hard <laughs> to imagine that turning into, you know, it's hard to imagine, you know, rock concerts the way that, for instance, punk concerts used to be, where it was an extremely dangerous place for any young person to go because it was, you know, inherently a, yeah. a scene of violent disaffection. Yeah. So even though even though passions have cooled on some of this high-minded stuff from the day they came out in, you know, there's still much more engagement than you get with some contemporary not-so-high-up uh, things. Um, so... Anyway, my point is, I think that's something that uh, pretentious music can say for itself, is that I think it will have better shelf life. And also, um, you know, as powerful as the emotional experience of, uh, you know, letting all your whatever anxieties or fears or terrors or anguish you've had out into uh, rocking out to a three-minute pop song can be, there's a sort of I don't know. For me, anyway, there's a sort of more contemplative, um, reflective, uh, outside my own personal space type of point of view that I think some of this more uh, pretentious music can take me to. Um, a little bit more of a, this is hard to describe, uh, a more universal appreciation for the human condition than a, a particularly piquant appreciation for my own condition. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Um, and I don't, I don't know that I can say why it is. Maybe it's just because pretentious music is more complex and thus has more power at its disposal. Maybe it's because it aspires to more timeless types of aesthetics. But that is something that I think pretentious music has going for it that we can, we can say yes, and this is why we should support and love it. Um, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to argue against uh, supporting any 
music that you know clearly fulfills a need for um, a certain part of you know a certain group of of humans who when they're looking for art and and beauty and you know the uh you know that transmission of emotion need um what you just described that you know connection and feeling that someone else is also trying to understand um the world just outside of their immediate problems um yeah and you know that just made me think of something that ties into what you said earlier about how some of this music can um you know, there's the question of are people appreciating this just because um, they apply these things after the fact? And, you know, even even apart from whether there's something special it does, you might say that the culture has established uh, sort of more pretentious art as uh, what's known as a shelling point. A shelling point being um, uh, a sort of abstract mm-hmm. uh, term for uh, an abstract concept of something that people can coordinate around independently. So um, like, let's say you and I were in Paris and we got separated and we wanted to find each other and we had no cell phones or whatever. All right. Right. Where would you go? Well, Well, like the Eiffel Tower. Yes. The Eiffel Tower is a shelling point in that situation because it's an obvious feature that we can both think of like, well, he might go there just because it's big. Um, yes. (laughs) And I've never even (laughs) been to Paris. Um, so, um, I think our culture has sort of set up this type of, uh, you know, sort of high art as a shelling point for, Mm. uh, smart, um, intelligent people that makes it easier for them to find each other. You know, you can, um, I've definitely hooked up at, uh, at, Indie rock concerts. <laughs> it's a good place to meet cool chicks. <laughs> mm, yeah. Um, uh, not exploitatively, but people that you would, that you would uh, enjoy spending time with. Um, right. Yes, you know? of course. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. Um, so it's, uh, you know, so to some extent there might be value in preserving this tradition just so that future, uh, future cool, intelligent people have a way to uh, something to bond over, something to, to interact about. Right. And from that, um, uh, it says cool, intelligent young people always need a place to hook up. I mean, that seems like, uh, <laughs> that seems to, uh, at least lead me to believe that it will, you know, continue to exist at least for that purpose. I mean that, you know, mm-hmm. if we need these points for assembly that, um, uh, artists will continue to create them, um, and I'm not. I'm, I, I definitely am not approaching this. In that I'm worried that pretentious music will, you know, cease to exist. Um, yeah. Although uh, I have seen some cultural commentators worry that high art is going to be strangled by geek art, basically. Oh, that's an interesting. That's a. Uh, that's a. I, I, that, that's that's a different podcast. Yeah. But I, that's a really interesting. You're gonna have to send me. Uh, if if you remember any of those, it's Freddie DeBoer. Uh, oh, okay, okay, <laughs> yep, that seems like something which uh, he would write. Everybody should look up Freddie DeBoer's Twitter and blog and blog because um, he pisses a lot of people off, and I can kind of see why. But I love him, and he's a very intelligent, smart guy. Yeah, anyway, and uh, and definitely a little pretentious. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yes. um, I think he would readily admit, and then yes, uh, flip you the bird. Anyway. Um, uh, well, I guess, uh, you know, my, my final, you know, I, I like where we ended up with this discussion and it does bring me to, you know, what ultimately the question I couldn't, um, answer, which is, you know, wondering just how pretentious music might be, uh, um, to use the term you just introduced me to shelling point for <laughs> people of, um, a certain intellectual bent uh, that I'm not, I'm not particularly sure that that it's any different than any other kind of music, which might bring together, you know, people seeking something else. Yeah. Uh, well, out in the timelessness in of this type of music is a useful feature in that respect in that. Okay. So you're right. So whereas people will music, always be like, Oh, we could, you know, Mozart is always a shelling point for hundreds of years, basically. Got it. You know? Okay. Yeah. 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 All right. Those are, there's something, um, uh, there's something there. 
There's a there there. <laughs> um, hmm. Yeah. Well, do you want to conclude by maybe uh, dropping some pretentious recommendations on the people? Pretentious recommendations? I did not prepare any. Okay. Um, but I can certainly uh, come up with some. Yeah. Just off the top quickly. of your head, some of your favorite well, let me, pretentious let me, acts. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. Go ahead. You, um, man, you go first. I got to think of a couple here. Okay. Well, so just to, to take them off the table because we've talked about them plenty, we have our Radioheads, our Joanna Newsome. Um, I think those would clearly classify, cla- be classified as poten- pretentious, and uh, they're great, and I love them. They're some of my favorite artists. Uh, to to go with another with a new one. Uh, we'll go with the opening track, which is a jazz trio from, I think, Manchester, England, called Go Go Penguin. The first word being one word, Go Go. Um, and uh, they're sort of like a jazz trio that is a little bit less pretentious, perhaps, um, in that they use a little bit more of uh, hip-hop rhythms in their drumming. And, um, but it's still jazz. Um, I, I just discovered it this week. And I dig both of their last two albums uh, real hot. So um, everybody should look into them. They're on Bandcamp, which makes it easy nice. to listen to. Um, those are excellent, <laughs> excellent pretentious recommendations. Um, and that thank you for allowing me to stall a little there because uh, I'm going to say that um, as a pretentious rock fan, um, probably the most important um, text that i've uh read was uh the book our band could be your life ah yeah uh which goes into um the individual stories of uh indie bands from the 80s um it's by michael azarad azarad um and i think it you know it's it's developed a cult following as any good pretentious work will (laughs) and you know the bands that it covers um uh, like, uh, you know, obviously, uh, Sonic Youth, but also, uh, Husker Du and, uh, the Minutemen, um, and, uh, Big Black, aren't they in there? Yeah. And, um, you should mention the most pretentious uh, feature of the structure of that book, which is, I have it, which that he concludes the tale of every band when they sign their first major yes, label deal. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That is the most pretentious. Yes. Um, and uh, my, my favorite band uh, from the book is uh, Beat Happening, um, ah. which they are just the kind of the ultimate lo-fi. I don't want to call them no talent, but <laughs> they're definitely the closest that like, you know, Da da. Yeah. No, that's not. That's that's the wrong. I, it's hard to describe beat happening, uh, but uh, uh, complex is not the word I would ever use for them. And yet, uh, I I feel like their music is extremely pretentious in a way. Yeah. Well, this is um, the this is the flip side we were talking about earlier. That's more philosophically pretentious than yes, technically pretentious. Yes. Um, so that's that's you know. Uh, that's me being pretentious, liking <laughs> that music. Um, and, uh, you know, I think probably my, probably Sufjan is my favorite pretentious ah. artist. Um, the one who is, is nearest and dearest to my heart. And I mean, I have to say that I think, you know, I don't know if the Smashing Pumpkins are pretentious, but Billy Corgan is extremely pretentious. Yeah. And there are aspects of that music which are, which, you know, my, my favorite band, which are, um, you know, as, as pretentious as rock music gets. Yeah, I was thinking about them too because they're one of my favorite bands as well. And uh, they're an interesting test case because there's definitely some, you know, meat and potatoes rock in there. But I think... From Siamese Dream on, each album became successively more pretentious, and it was right. significant leaps and bounds most of the time. Um, even Machina, when they supposedly return to rock at the end of their career, is a uh, fairly ridiculous concept album. Uh, yes, a double concept <laughs> album, which the second half of which was released for free on the internet and uh, then later explained through was a released, series of... 
was released for free as a vinyl record only that was given to f- specific fans who then had to do a digital transfer. Yes, yes. <laughs> and part of the machine of mystery was Billy Corgan handing out like handwritten photocopied like rants about the story of the album like at the <laughs> concerts and parts of it were like hidden on their webpage. Yeah. Uh, it was it was an attempt that's an interesting like that's a different discussion about, you know, does does an attempt to be pretension count as pretension? Oh yeah. You know, no, 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 no. right. That there's I mean, when most people think of if you say pretentious music, most people will think of bad music that tries to be super yes. famous. Super <laughs> super technically awesome. And yes. um, uh you know, you and I are some of the few people who actually like Machina. Um but um that's um, a different man. That's a, a we'll get I think into, the pretension definitely turns people off with that album. Um, we got to say, we got to say this for one of our many future smashing pumpkins, uh, podcasts. Because yeah. One of them <laughs> will just play mocking backwards. So we don't get copyright problems and yes, just an offer as a lot of commentary. <laughs> All right. Um, any final thoughts, Joe? Uh, no, except that I forgot to give uh, a concert review, which I was going to do. Uh, uh, should we slip it in here, or should we wait till next quickly? time? Can you do it quickly? We're at a, just about an hour. So Yeah, so this um, uh, this past week, I saw one of my favorite uh, indie rock band, new indie rock bands, uh, Chastity Belt, ah. uh, here in Par- Portland. Um, it is uh, four uh, women who met... Uh, they met in college in Seattle, uh, more or less, and they just released uh, their second album, um, uh, which um, uh, is called Time to Go Home. Um, and they appeared on stage in matching velour sweatsuits. That is pretentious. Uh, it was pretty, <laughs> it was pretty rock, pretty rock and roll. Um, and they, uh, played, uh, um, you know, they're, they're kind of a, a, a low key war paint, Uh. like kind of a laid back war paint. Like if war paint was kind of jamming, uh, and, uh, maybe even a less pretentious war paint to use the, (laughs) the word of the day. Um, and certainly focus, although on the other hand, they certainly focus a lot on their, um, uh, their lyrics, which um, are heavily uh, um, not not how how do I want to say this? I don't want to call them feminists, just because it's four women in the band. That feels a little uh, uh-huh. oversimplifying, but uh, it's certainly about the experience of uh, being a a young female aspiring rock god um uh in a way that's that's a refreshing and i mean that's why i think there are a lot of bands like them um where there's not they don't have there's not a ton of room to like make this you know groundbreaking new rock i mean they're just they're doing things and and you know bringing together a lot of you know indie rock and alternative rock um but the, the message and, you know, um, uh, uh, what they're talking about, uh, with the rock, uh, with their music is, um, what's new. And I think that's, you know, draws me to it as much as, you know, is also well done indie rock. Uh, and they put on a pretty good show, although, um, they clearly rolled into the venue like 20 minutes before <laughs> their gig and had not sound checked so it didn't necessarily sound uh quite as good as uh i would have liked but um eh, it's to be expected yeah well may you see them again when they're big and have time to yes cruise in in a big uh, no then it won't us. be cool anymore that's true too pretentious for that <laughs> <laughs> all right well uh that sounds good if they come in my area i will listen to them Everybody, thank you for listening to the Savage Abuse podcast with me, Paul McLeod, and my buddy, Joseph William Gallagher Jr. And, yo, yo. Uh, uh, follow us uh, at Savage Beast Pod on Twitter. And uh, check us out at savagebeastpod.com. 
That's correct, right? Yes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, rate us on iTunes and um, uh, tell all your friends that they can't be your friend anymore unless they agree that this is the best podcast. So uh, thanks for listening. Thanks. Thanks.